0: Episode of Sports Talk with JB. I'm, of course, JB Josh Burton. If you know the voice by now, I'm assuming it's because you know me from the well renowned podcast Everything College Basketball. Well, this is my side hustle, my side chick, my side gig, if you will. Dusty Rhodes voice included. Um, basically, the overview of this podcast and this show is we're just going to do anything I want to sports related, Uh, basketball, you know, the pros, uh, football, college football, racing, soccer, anything else underneath the sun that's not named college basketball, because guess why? You guessed it. We have specific podcasts for that, which you can find by searching up anywhere your favorite podcasts are found at Everything College Basketball. And you can find us on the Facebook group, Just go to Facebook.com slash group slash Everything College Basketball. Now that you kind of know what we're doing, let me introduce you to another familiar voice to those who have followed me over from Everything College Basketball. Although this time he's in a slightly different role, but he's going to be a voice that's familiar to a lot of you and will be familiar to a lot of you newcomers here very soon. Introducing... The co founder of Everything College Basketball, my co host over at the Everything College Basketball podcast, and the producer, slash, I called him my young Jamie for you, <clears throat> Joe Rogan, experience people, um, Mr. Peyton Burton.
1: Yes, sir, that is me. What's going on? Thanks for having me. I'll tell you what, this is a little bit different role for me. You mentioned everything college basketball. I normally use, I don't think I've ever been a guest on anybody's podcast before. I've either been co hosting or hosting myself. So, this is actually a first, especially going back into like a producer role, uh, producing the show and getting everything ready. Um, it's definitely going to be a different, different vibe for me, but I'm still going to have fun. And thanks for having me, like always.
0: Yeah, I no problem. I mean, I wouldn't know you, you know, wouldn't anybody else to produce my shows. Plus, we're going to be unfiltered. It gives us a chance. And by the way, for people who are wondering, everything college basketball, yes, we have not done a show in about two months. We're just letting it breathe and marinate after the final. We'll be back soon with our summer stuff and then we'll pick it in high gear. So, for all you ECV fans, we will be back soon and starting to count down towards the season. But that's not about this right now. This is about the whole landscape of sports. Before I get too much further in, let me go ahead and introduce you to our first sponsor, our title sponsor of this podcast, Darledge Custom Meats, located in Columbia or, uh, Seymour, Indiana, 1107 West Tipton Street, Suite A in Seymour, Indiana. Darlidge Custom Meats is your one stop shop for all your custom meat desires. I'm talking the best states, the steaks around Burgers, ground beef, ground chuck. How about brisket burgers, bacon burgers? And we're more than just burgers and steaks. You've got tenderloin. You've got Italian chicken breast. You've got the frozen seafood. Everything you could possibly want at a low, low price compared to industry standard. And plus that, top it off, the owner, Gary Darlidge, is a world-class human being. I would know from experience. Open six days a week. Monday through Saturday, open 10 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday, and open only at a short-period window on Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Stop in if you're ever around this area, whether you're being Columbus, Seymour, or just passing through the state of Indiana in general. Make sure you stop by Darla's Customs. Tell them Josh Burton from either Everything College Basketball Sports Talk with JB or whatever, however you found me. Make sure you stop in, say hello. There's a good chance I'll be there and let them know that I sent you. Um, I promise you, you're not going to find any other meat department, meat shop that's friendlier, nicer, cleaner, better meat than Darish Dar- 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 Custom Meat, promise you. And by the way, if you have one suggestion for me, get you some seasoned pork chops we make and grill them. They are a one, I promise you. Darlidge Custom Meat, eleven oh seven West Tipton Street, Suite A, Col- Seymour, Indiana. I keep wanting to say Columbus because that's where I live at, <laughs> and I, I the Seymour deal. But Peyton, you've had a little experience with Darlidge and them. I mean, tell them about them seasoned pork chops.
1: Oh, without a doubt, they're definitely like the best pork chops I've ever had in my life. Um, definitely would recommend. Uh, if you guys need some meats, without a doubt, you need to hit up Dollar's Customs. And I have a sp- pretty much a special relationship with them as well because they help sponsor my race car, and my Hornet, that I race. I haven't raced in like four or five weeks. Probably going to get to the track hopefully in a couple weeks. But whenever I do race, I definitely couldn't do it without them. So, yeah, Dollar's Customs meats is the place to go because they are delicious. Now
0: that we got all that out of the way, Peyton, let's jump right into it. Arguably, and I don't actually I don't even think it's an arguable debate anymore. The third best tournament in all sports is going on right now. Only and I say third, I mean it's A1, it's a top-notch tournament, but it only comes behind the greatness as is the NCAA March Madness tournament and the World Cup. Peyton, I'm referring to the 2020 Euro Championship, the European Championships in soccer. World football, whatever you want to call it, the Euros are outstanding, Peyton. We are just now today, as we sat here on Saturday, June 26th, got into the first leg of the round of 16 knockout stages. We're not going to go over all the things that we missed in the group stage. We'll briefly mention them. But Peyton, I'm right about that, right? I mean, the Euros are third best tournament and it's not even close to anybody else.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I think there's just something special about international football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, where you're from. That I listen, I love the Champions League. I love watching the Champions League Champions League every year. But the Euros, it's only every four years they play. Same thing with the World Cup, even like the Copa America tournament that's going on right now. Any type of international tournament for soccer or football is incredible. And it's just so much drama or the nations league, I guess you can put that in there too.
0: Oh, and um, the Gold Cup, too. Gold yeah, Cup. yeah, yeah, Gold
1: yeah. Cup as well. Any type of international comp is just very exciting. So much drama. Um, normally, you have the best players playing for them, especially if it's a World Cup or Euros right now. And uh, it's, yeah, knockout stage beginning today. And uh, it was very exciting stuff, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah, and I'm with you. You're, as you guys are going to learn in this uh, this show, I'm a huge soccer fan behind college basketball honestly over the last 10 years soccer is maybe my second favorite sport now I mean it's right there with football and baseball I'm telling you it's really close so you're going to hear a lot of soccer talk so brace yourself use the fast forward button if you must but I promise you soccer is just not or as football as our friends overseas like to pronounce it soccer is not this what everybody in America or at least the old school minds used to want to tell you oh it's so boring they all they do is pass they play 90 minutes and don't score and it's no fun if we can turn our father who's a 50 plus year old man almost 55 years old that could not stand soccer that was like a lot of other Americans who would only watch it during let's say the World Cup both men and women if in the last calendar year not even just last calendar if the last six months if he could sit down and really pay attention, and become a fan, I know there's a lot of other you people out there like that, men or women, is there times that the game is slow, and can be, uh, yeah, but I want you to go to basketball, and baseball, and football, and tennis, and golf, and everything else, and tell me there's not moments or games that are like that, because there is, I'll make a liar out of you if you say there's not. So it's so much fun. Even the the, the we call you know nil nil, which nil means zero. Nil nil draws doesn't necessarily dictate just because a final score shows something doesn't necessarily dictate how the game was played. There is so many exciting matches that ended like a one one tie or a barely a, a two one win or a nil nil draw that have so many implications and the passion. I love soccer, Peyton, and I know you do too. The Euros are commencing like we talked about. Real quick, let's go briefly over the groups before we get into the knockouts that started today. Obviously, for those who know me, you're going to know this as a fact. For those who are new and joining us, you're going to find out real quick, probably at the end of this episode, to be honest, all of mine and Peyton's favorite teams that we'll glowingly talk about and if need to, trash. But for me, for whatever reason, I'm not Italian. Peyton's not Italian. But for some reason, since I was like seven seven or eight years old, I've had this obsession with Italy. My sister did too, which is really weird as well. I didn't force her to. And I've always said I'm pseudo-Italian. So Italy is my country. Italy wins Group A. Wales came in second. And Switzerland was third. The top three in Group A all advanced Turkey, which was a massive failure in this tournament. Finished dead last in group A. Group B was won by the number one ranked team in FIFA World Rankings right now. Belgium won a perfect three for three, nine points. Top group B, Denmark was second, Finland third, and Russia fourth. Um, group C saw the Netherlands perfect three for three for nine points. Win Group C, Austria was second with six points. The Ukraine was third with three points, North Macedonia finished dead last with no points, but they actually put up a good fight in a bunch of their games. Group C, or sorry, Group D was won by England with seven points. Croatia was fourth, or second was fourth. The Czech Republic actually had four as well. And then Scotland was dead last with one point with the lone draw against England. Group E seemed Sweden, surprisingly, win the group. Spain... The powerhouse that is Spain finished second with five points, Slovakia three, and a disappointing Poland, which arguably the, the number one striker in the world, Robert, or yeah, Robert Lewandowski, Poland only got one point, finished dead last groupie, and in the final group with a group of deaths, arguably group F was tremendous too. France barely topped the group, the defending World Cup champion the the French side, Los Blanc or um, Los Blues, um, or lay blues, I guess it'd be lay blues. Uh, you know, one group F, one of the group of death. Five points. Germany and Portugal both tied with four. Germany won the head-to-head against Portugal, so they finished second. Portugal by the skin of their teeth advances as a third-place runner or third-place finishing team with four points. And the Hungary finished the dead last with two, but they were they overachieved. Peyton, looking at the the group stage as a whole now, now that it already finished up, we're in the knockout stages. I know you're going to go straight to Group F, the, the Group of Death, because your Portuguese side's there. Uh, I'm going to open the floor up to you. Kind of, I know, you, let's speak on the Group of Death and then your thoughts of the, the tournament as a whole and the group stage.
1: You know it's funny to me? Um, obviously, I'm a Portugal fan. I have been probably since, like, 2012. Um, back then, we made the semifinals. Should have beat Spain in penalty kicks, but ultimately didn't end up losing. So I've been watching Portugal since about 2012 Euros, around that time anyways. And uh, it's it's actually funny that we are in the group of death. Josh, obviously you remember, uh, I don't know if any other OG members um, listening to this podcast will remember this, but if any NCAA football fans out there, like the, the football game out there, um, we used to have this rule in our online dynasty that I think if you win like, Three national championships or something like that. You get pit in like a tougher schedule or something like that. Yep. And obviously Portugal is defending Euro champions. So what do we get by winning the championship? We get put in the group of death with two teams, uh France and Germany. Germany always give us problems. And France, The is last
0: just, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, the last ahead. two World Cup winners as well. France in 2018 and Germany in 2014.
1: Yeah. And you throw Hungary in there, which gave everybody a run for the money. Um, Portugal, it took a skin, it took like the final 10 minutes. Uh, it was nil-nil after like the 82nd minute, and all of a sudden we went up 3-0 and we ended up winning the game. Um, they gave France a run for the money. I think they was actually up against France if I remember yeah. correctly. And then obviously Germany they ended up drawing 2-2, which is an incredible game. So they actually were probably the stars of the tournament, even though they only had, what was it, two points and didn't make the knockout stage, they yeah. still impressed me a lot and definitely made that Group F way too interesting for me and almost gave me a heart attack because there's so much going into that group. I didn't know if we was going to make it. I At first, I thought we needed to win and then we needed a draw because Germany was getting beat and just so much stuff was going into this uh, final day or well, final match day on Wednesday and uh, I'm glad we crawled with a new point system or like the third place things, like only certain third place teams gets to go into the knockout stage, which actually fun fact, by the way, um, I thought this was the first time they actually did this. It is not. The 2016 Euros, they did this because Portugal finished third in our group that year uh, as well. Okay. And then we ultimately ended up winning the Euros that year. So this is actually the second time that we finished third in our group and barely made it. So hopefully we do better in the knockout stages but, yeah, that group average is very fun and very entertaining to watch.
0: So, as a whole, on the group stage, obviously, my Italian's perfect throughout. The first uh, Italian team since 1990, I do believe is what it was, to secure all three points without giving. I mean, they went a per- perfect 3-0 and for the American audience. Nine points because the win gets you three points, a draw gets you one, and a loss, obviously, nothing. Um, They took the full nine points from the group. But not only that, Peyton, they didn't concede not one time in the group stage. Going into today, which we're going to talk about the knockout stage that started today. Going into today, Italy was on a nation-tying record, 30 straight wins dating back to losing to Sweden, not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. So dating back to 2017, or 2018, I believe, yeah, 2018, or yeah, 2018, I'll get it right here in a second. Italy in the, as a nation in international competitions, through all competitions, on a 30-game winning streak coming in today, that's, people don't really understand because international breaks only happen every, so, you know, every couple months. It's not like you're playing every week. So that's, that's an impressive run that Italy has been on. We'll, we'll find out if they made it 31 today or not. Um, also, me, painting is standing out. I thought Belgium looked really good in group stage. Lukaku, Kevin De Bruyne, um, Eden Hazard's been playing better. That's a tough Belgium side. You can easily see why they're number one in the FIFA world rankings. Um, that's a very tough side we'll talk about. How about the Dutch? You got to keep in mind, this is a nation rich in football history. They missed after um, – in 2010, they barely – barely lost the World Cup final to Spain in extra time. Um, And then since then, 2014, they get their revenge on Spain in the group stage, but get knocked out. um, And I think they made it to the Final Four, if I remember right. And then since 2014, Peyton, they missed out on the 2016 Euros. They missed out on the 2018 World Cup. Now the Dutch are back. They cruise through their group. England, I know they won their group, Peyton, but there is no excuse for them losing to Scotland. To me, England, and I see a lot of pundits from our friends across the pond. I watch a lot of um, English TV, international TV when I can find it online or whatever and read a lot of the newspapers, articles surrounding it. There's a lot of our friends across the pond, Peyton, supporting the three Lions that are disappointed with Gareth Southgate. Um, they think that England plays way too defensive with two uh, central defensive midfielders. They run a four-two-three-one system, which puts you in two defensive mids. They have – you look at England, how young and attackful-minded they should be, Peyton. Jaden Sancho is hardly even playing for the three Lions, and they think a lot of it's to do with politics. They think if he would – because he is a star at Borussia Dortmund. But because he's not playing in the Premier League, they have, like, this weird – politicking thing, that they only want English guys who play in the English Premier League to shine and bring the three Lions, the glory back. Peyton, Jaden Sancho is one of the best players in his position at the world on the right side. There's no reason that England should be playing two central halves in the middle of the park and play defensive minded. There's no reason for it.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I was actually going to mention that if you didn't. But yeah, I don't know why James Sancho is not playing. He's actually a superstar for Dortmund. Him and Holland has been doing great things for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga um, and really a Champions League as well. But it's funny. I seen Germany. Who I don't know who it was it. Um, I don't remember which player it was. Was one of their players said if Eng- if he's not good enough to play for England, then since he's been playing in the Bundesliga, since he's been playing in Germany. For the past like four, three or four years or something like that, um, I think he's eligible to actually like play for Germany now if he wanted to. I think, I don't know what he has to do. Um, I didn't read the quote too much.
0: I, th- I think he just announced uh, your are switching your allegiances, I think. Or you have yeah. to like file some paperwork, but I think it's just as easy as that. that. Yeah.
1: yeah. So since he's been playing in Germany for like the past four years, I think he's eligible to actually like play for the German national team, which actually would be a big help for Germany. Um, But, yeah, he should be playing for England. I don't know why he hasn't. He hasn't played a a minute yet for England, Uh, hopefully in this knockout stage because they play Germany in the knockout stage. Hopefully he can get some playing time because if he does, then he's a difference maker in one of these games. Um, And them them drawing against Scotland, 0-0, was terrible. Um, That was actually like a win. Even though Scotland didn't get the three points, it was actually a win for them because England has so much young talent uh, on their squad that they should really not be drawn to Scotland, especially Neil. now.
0: And it's in Wembley. Oh, I mean yeah, it's in yeah, their yeah. backyard. It's in Wembley Stadium for Christ's sake. They're playing a four, two, three, one trying to just basically let's score one and hold on. That's not England. And they have so many young guys. Like you look at Raheem Sterling's had a good tournament, but he's been up and down, but still Peyton. You talk about Mason Greenwood, you talk about um Mate, or sorry, not Mason Greenwood. You talk Greenwood, so I mean, I forget to express me, but Mason Mount. You look at Jaden Sancho, like we mentioned, Harry Kane, obviously up top. You have Marcus Rashford. You have all this talent that can go forward, use, put pace on, the, and put pressure on defensive teams. I, I don't get England. And I think because of this mindset, they're going to screw around and they're going to get knocked out again early. Yeah. That's just my opinion on England.
1: Yeah, they're gonna have to figure out something because they have too much talent, especially in that attacking line with like guys like Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane um, as a number nine. And they, they should be scoring more goals, and they should really not be losing or even coming it close with the teams like Scotland. Um, they, in my opinion, going into this tournament, I thought they would be one of the favorites. Now I can see them getting beat by Germany by a couple goals. So I we'll do see. too.
0: And Germany's not been Germany of old. They did have a great performance against Portugal. We'll get more on that here later about the Portuguese backline. I know you're going to have some things to say about that. But also, then Germany turned around and by the skin of their teeth, um, thanks to, um, oh, uh, who scored the goal to tie it up this secure and save their ass 2 2? Leon Goretzka. Yeah. Goretzka, if it wasn't for a Goretzka goal, Germany's knocked out Hungary then, and Portugal finished second in the group. So if there's a good chance, depending on what Germany's side shows up, if England's just going to play two defensive mids again and worry about this German attack that's not the strongest right now, then they're going to get knocked out. Because the last thing, they want a a penalty shootout, because Lord knows their record in them, especially against Germany. And Germany's historically good. Let's move on to the knockout stage. This is where the things really start getting tight. This is where we uh, separate the boys from the men. Whatever analogy you want to use, Peyton. It kicked off this afternoon with a matchup between Wales and Denmark. Peyton. By the way, we gotta get—we'd be remiss to say—giving a sh- huge shout out to the Danish superstar Christian Erickson, Had that scary, scary ordeal two weeks ago to the day, where in the first game of their group stage, he collapses, literally, yeah, literally dies on the pitch for a minute. Had a, it was basically a heart attack, wasn't it? I mean, that's what yeah, they said. Yeah, pretty much. Had a heart attack. Thank God for Milan star center back and Danish captain Simon Kier for basically helping save Christian Eriksen's life and calming his wife down, gather, galvanizing his teammates. This is a great story for Denmark, the 1992 uh, champions, by the way, of this competition. Obviously, Erickson is recovering. He's, I think he's on the men. Basically, I don't know what his football career is going to look like now, but he's on the men. Um, and then the Danish team has probably the best story going in the in the tournament, and maybe in sports right now. Period. But they they kicked off the knockout stage round of sixteen today. Winner go home against Wales, and an absolute thrashing. Absolute thrashing of the welsh Peyton denmark for <coughs> wales nil how about casper dolberg putting up a brace for the danish side
1: yeah this is actually surprising i thought wales would actually come through especially with gareth bell actually me personally i was hoping the wales would win i think i was hoping gareth bell would get a couple of goals maybe get a brace or something just because i want him to be informed because i hope he comes back to madrid which i th- I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it's set in stone that he's coming back for, to Madrid after being on loan at uh, Tottenham for a year. Um, so ho- I was hoping he'd be informed when he comes back. But they end up getting beat four uh, 0 Haley Wilson for the Wales in the 90th minute, which don't even matter. He ended up getting a red card, so he was sent off the pitch. Um, then we had. I'm looking at the stats here. They we had. They had 11 shots, one on target for Denmark. They had 16 shots, eight on target. Pretty much dominated possession. Fifty-three. Um, I
0: was going to say the same thing. Yeah, I mean the Danish side dominated this match. Fifty-three percent possession. More shots on, more shots period. More, way more shots on goal. They kept it and they're attacking third way more of the time. This was a complete and thorough ass whooping that the Danish gave the Wales the Welsh team.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Um, they had like nine corners as well to pay it to Wales as one. So definitely a surprising result. Um, but uh, before the game, I just want to mention this. we we'll get talking about the Christian Eriksson situation. Uh, it was cool because um, before the game started, like when the captains meet uh, in like the middle of the front of the pitch and do their stuff and hang the flags out and stuff. A game of Bell actually gave uh, Denmark's um, captain uh, a sign. I don't know if it was signed, but it was like a jersey with Christian Eriksson on it, and it was in the frame. And it was really cool. It was they like, ended up getting a big uh, applause from that. So. Good on them for doing that, but they end up getting their ass whooped for now.
0: So the Danish move on to the quarterfinals, the the round of eight, the second matchup today in Wembley Stadium, seeing my Italian, the Azuri, playing a third place side in Austria, or actually they finished second, I'm sorry, the second place finishers in their group, Austria. In a matchup on paper, you're talking about, we mentioned just a little bit ago, Italy was on a 30-match winning streak. They had not conceded a goal for over a 1,000 minutes. I want to put that, just think about that. Imagine playing a 1,000 minutes of any sport and not letting your opponent score. That is unbelievable. But Italy, let's be honest, yeah, they had, you know, Wales in the group. Switzerland's a decent side. Turkey, we thought, would be better and sucked it up. But it wasn't the strongest side. So a lot of question marks coming in for Italy. The, the scouting port looked as such. Basically, you have a world-class goalkeeper in Gigio Donnarumma, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, my feelings on him. But for now, he's representing so I'm cheering for him. You have a good defensive line because you're playing four in the back. You have some experience, some talent, some speed back there, or pace, as we call it. You have a world-class midfield. I think, arguably, Italy's got the best midfield trio in this entire tournament. But the question marks resided up top in the attacking third. You have good players, but not great, and not guys, at least at the international level, have been proven to be able to score consistently, like a Ciro Immobile. Even though in City, A, he'll score 103 goals in five seasons, (laughs) internationally he's not really scored that much but Italy looked good in the group stage so let's see what happens against Austria today basically Peyton that first half Italy had chance after chance dominated possession um I don't know the official stat at halftime but I'm pretty sure it looked something like we probably had what 56 57 percent possession and arguably probably 11 chances or shots on goal and we had one <laughs> banger from Cyril Immobile that hit the post but the story of the first half was Austria hung tough defensively. Italy couldn't convert their chances. I'm right about that, right?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I think, especially in that first like 15 minutes in the first half, start of the game, I thought Italy could have very well been up two 0 They had multiple opportunities to score. They was breaking through the attacking third like almost every time they got the possession of the ball. Um, they was breaking through. Spinozola playing as a left back, uh, attacking left back. He was make coming up making plays finding passes uh the midfield was just dominating um like was i think his was doing way too much than what he needed to do he there's multiple times he would get in the box and he'll try to do like a Ronaldo like step back or something or just try to do too much try to when one point i don't know if it was second half or first half he had a wide, he pretty much had a wide open shot that he could have shot on his left foot. and said he tried to cross it to I don't know if it was Barati on the white wing or whatever it was. And it was good just a, it was just a bad cross and it ended up getting taken away and they ended up missing the opportunity to score. But yeah, I thought early on in the game, I mentioned it to you and dad, like the first 10 minutes, I thought it was really impressive. The attacking side was doing really good. They just couldn't get that one goal. Um, and there was high pressure. So every time they lose possession, like most of the defenders and stuff would come up and just really put pressure on Austria and make them make a mistake so they can get back in a counterattack. But one thing I was worried about with them doing that, and it almost happened a couple times, especially in that first half, is the way there was high pressure so much and the defenders were coming up a little too far, it only took like one counterattack for Austria to make them pay for it. Ultimately, they didn't, but they had maybe a couple opportunities to do so.
0: And you're right. right about that. We talked about that during the matches. We're explaining, you know, games we are. We, we kind of commentate as we go and explaining stuff to dad because he's a new um, viewer. But basically, you're right about that. There, it felt like a good 15 minutes that Austria spent defending for their life because Italy, even if they lost possession, the high press, as you mentioned, would take the ball back, keep the pressure going. But you're right. When a team high presses, it is very lethal because – for that high pressing team, yeah, you have a good chance of winning the ball back and put a lot of pressure on the team. But if you're not careful and you don't, if you don't get a good shot on goal or keep possession, all it takes is one spring to break free for a striker or a winger for the other team, and what we call a counterattack going the opposite way. Austria almost had that a time or two with um, um, Arnautovic going towards the center of the park but nonetheless nil-nil at halftime Italy comes out as flat as can be and got their ass whooped in the second half let's be honest with it um uh, Austria came on a completely different side in the second half they're putting a high press on Italy they're forcing Italian turnovers and bad uh, decision making as, as you mentioned with uh Insigne, Ferrari. Immobile, the front three, some of the midfielders like Verratti that doesn't make this or bad decisions was frustrated. Varela. Austria had a goal at the 70th, around the 70th minute, called offside, though, to think the VAR, the virtual assistant referee or replay, however you want to look at it. Um, It was the right call, but Italy is playing with fire. They almost gave up a goal, then turn around and almost gave up another one. Or as far as like a penalty goes, yeah. Luckily, long story short, there with 80 minutes, 84 minutes in, they they are sorry, back in the 75th minute, they made a pair of subs in the midfield. They took off Verratti and Barella, Varela on a yellow card. They bring in Matteo Pascina, who had actually scored in this tournament, and they, um, Verratti came off for Locatelli, who scored a brace versus Switzerland. So, again, you have that world-class midfield, no matter how you slice it up for Italy in the four three three that they're running. But it they um, they play with fire, lucky not to get burned. It goes in the extra times, which for newer people that don't understand soccer, extra times, an added 15-minute, two 15-minute periods, so we put 120 minutes. Then if it was still tied to go to penalty shoot-up, then Italy finally was able to wear them down in extra time pace. And they had made, right before extra time started, they had made a pair of subs. And you could be my witnesses. I was screaming to you guys that please bring on Federico Chiesa. Yep. yep. Federico Chiesa is a young Italian stud playing for Juventus at the club level. His dad played back in Italy back in the day, played for the Italian national team, actually teammates as Gisio Buffon. And he, he's just a difference maker. He's what we call a super sub in the game begging him to bring him on, Berardi wasn't doing much, he was tired, I knew Chiesa would have fresh legs, they bring on Chiesa like the 84th minute, all the while taking out Ciro Immobile, bringing in Andrea Belotti, the Torino strikesman, uh, the talisman, and those pair of changes end up being the difference, actually all four changes there may be the difference, because early on in the first set of extra time, Peyton. Rodrigo Chiesa had a beautiful ball played into him. Over the top, onside uh, by Manuel Locatelli, caught your man uh, David Alaba out of position. And Chiesa did a nice little one-time, got by the defender, and a quick left-footed strike. Beats the goalkeeper, far post. Italy go up 1-0. Then it wasn't much longer, a couple minutes later, that Matteo Pessina... I think it was what, like 110 minutes in, I think that's what it was. Uh, 105. Yeah, 105 minutes. Right before the um, the stoppage to go into the second part of the extra time. Piscina gets what we think is going to be the, the for sure game winner. Puts Italy up 2-0 after a beautiful hold-up play by Bellotti. I mean, Bellotti held that ball up, kept their alive, then Piscina just put it away. Italy goes up 2-0. Think it's over, but it Austria is not going down without a fight, like they've been playing all game. Basically, late in the match was about six minutes ago. Austria whips in a, a corner. I cannot pronounce his name. He's linked to Milan. Six foot five. Gets down, but basically a diving header beats every Italian defender and the goalkeeper Gigio near post to pull it back to 2-1 for Austria or you know, Austria and Italy. Austria had a couple chances late, but at the end of the day, Italy runs their unbeaten record to 31 matches in a row. Not their best performance by a country mile. Now, they finally had some stiff competition. Not their best, but at the end of the day, like we say in college basketball, it's survive and advance. Italy lives to play another day in the quarterfinals. Peyton, overall views on the Italian win today?
1: Uh, First half, Italy looked... Really good. I thought, like I said, I thought they should have been up, like, 2-0. Um, I definitely at least somehow at least get one goal. We have one-0 going into halftime. But too many chances, and they didn't capitalize on it. We um, ended up going 0-0 into second half. And second half, I missed, like, the first 10 minutes of it. But I ended up watching the rest of the game. And, yeah, Italy just looked very sad. It looked like a completely different team in the second half compared to the first half. And they are very lucky because this was three, four years ago. Italy would probably not be in the second round. Uh, they probably got beat because Austria scored a header that his foot was barely offsides. Like, it was close. I mean, there's probably going to be a lot of people, especially Austria fans, who's probably annoyed about it, about the decision to take the goal away. But in reality, no bias, um, it was 100% offsides. It was close. I mean, it was ways of thin, but it was indeed offsides. It was the right call to make to take the goal away. So ultimately, it was back down to Neil Neil. Chiesa coming on, getting that beautiful goal. And uh, I don't know who crossed it into him, but he had to chest sit, and it. Was Locatelli. Left foot- oh, yeah, it was it was, Locatelli. it was. it was Locatelli going from the left side to the right side, crossing into him. David Alaba, I don't know what you're doing. Hopefully, you don't do that in Madrid because <laughs> you completely missed your man and made a bad decision. Left him wide open, too much room. Um, and he, yeah, he chested it down. Beautiful left foot strike, like he's leaning on Messi. Uh, far post, ended up going 1-0. And then obviously, uh, Piscina getting the goal before halftime or before uh, stoppage time in the second, for the first half of the extra time. That was huge. I thought for sure that was a dagger ball game, right? Italy's going to move through with these. Um, uh,
0: real quick, I thought you were going to, because I know you were just equally as depressed as I was. I thought Bellotti came on as a sub and I thought he was tremendous and helped change the way Italy's attack looked.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, He's not a pacey at all, but he's a strong striker. He's able to hold defenders. Um, he's like an Ebra type. If you just pass in the ball get to his feet, he's gonna hold someone, he's gonna make a play for you. And he that's what he did for the Pacino goal. He held him off just enough and he got the ball like taken away just a little bit, but it went right towards and He just put it into like the I think top left of the goal or something like that. Or near post, a uh, beautiful strike for them. And like I said, I thought the game was over. But Osher, just like all game, like you said, they kept on fighting back and never gave up. Um, that 6'5 dude, not even going to try to pronounce his name, uh, that's linked to Milan. Beautiful header. I know how you probably feel about Donaluma now with all the AC Milan stuff and his age being stupid, a bunch of shit like that. But it's absolutely nothing he could have done to save that. No. Oh, God. He's, I think he saw that probably last second because it like went between like two Italian defenders and somehow barely made it through near person. And there's absolutely nothing he could have done for that. Um, and they ended up holding off uh, Austria there late with like six minutes ago. go. And uh, ended up moving on. Fair play to Italy. They played well first half, played well first half of the extra time. And um, the two, the two super subs, or Kiesa coming on, was definitely a difference maker. Um, Pacina coming on, getting that extra goal, definitely helped. Um, they'll get Chiellini in the next game, correct?
0: Well, we hope so. Hope we, we so. Because so. I didn't think that Cherby was too bad today. To be honest, no, he definitely I thought, I thought wasn't. He was, I thought he was okay. Um, yeah, but yeah, you definitely want Chiellini. And I, be- how bad do you think that? Subi- uh, Marcel Sabitzer wants that shot back on goal he had in the extra time that would have uh, tied it up for, oh, yeah. um, Austria. actually, well, it would have gave them their first goal. And then the header would have tied it up in theory, but he was on goal clean on side and shot it wide. Yeah. One V one versus Donnarumma and skied it. Yeah. I bet he's like, Oh my God. But as far as Italy moving forward, they're going to play the winner of Belgium and Portugal. And when we're getting ready to talk about that, cause I know you're going to preview it and, um, it's tomorrow but Italy they've got to be better in the attacking third there's no doubt about it and today's match against Austria 26 shots 26 shots is enough to score some goals it's for uh, a top flight national team at least. they had six of them on goal um they didn't foul a whole bunch you know some bad calls went against their way They've just got to be better. Now, every team that seems like that wins any sort of championships normally has at least one bad game and fights through some adversity and comes back. This might be it. This might be the springboard, or this could be like a real cause for concern, because regardless whether it's Belgium or it's Portugal, Italy's about to be tested for sure, because they're in the hardest side of the bracket, and things are getting tougher from here, but all in all, you, you're just happy to survive in advance. I would, if I am uh, Mancini, the the manager of Italy, I start Chiesa from the word go against Belgium or Portugal, put pressure early, give you a real goal-scoring threat early, and then bring Berardi on as a super sub himself later on. Maybe that'll get him going a little bit. But I, I don't see how you don't start Federico Chiesa. Just my uh, thoughts as an Italian fan. That's it. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, just real quick, and I'll obviously let you move on. Um, I think I don't think Brody really played that well uh, in this game against Austria. I mean, he didn't play terrible, but I thought like he had some moments that he could have shined and really helped his team get through. But, yeah, I agree. I think KS needs to start over Brody. And whoever they play, either Belgium or Portugal, doesn't matter.
0: So, moving on. Um, tomorrow's games, because uh, here on out, at least for the round of 16, we'll do two games a day until we get down to the quarterfinals. So we had our two today we talked about. Tomorrow and Sunday, Peyton. We got a pair of them tomorrow with the first matchup being the Netherlands versus um, – hold on, I just The Czech Republic. The Czech Republic, Peyton. Yeah. The, the Czech had a good game against um, – our sorry, England beat them in the last game of group stage, so they're real in a little bit, but they were able to make it through through the group stage. On paper, the Dutch are the superior side. Memphis, yeah. the pie – Giorgio them. they're the superior side. But as we've shown with the likes of Italy-Austria and other examples in sporting history, the the favor don't always win. But I will say I do think this Dutch team, as useful as they are, glad to be back uh, at a big-time tournament. It would be a huge surprise if the Dutch team don't pull this out tomorrow.
1: I think I see a lot of the Italy Austria game in this one. Um, just like in Italy, you just have to survive in the fans. I think Dutch, uh, Holland, what you want to call them, I think it's going to take them a little bit to get going. First half, they'll probably play a little bit sloppy. If I just had to make a quick prediction there, I think Czech Republic um, would do everything they can to get. Um, I don't think Van Dyke's playing. By the way, I think he's actually out. At least yeah, that's I what think- I heard, or something. Yeah. So he has not been playing. So that's actually really good for Czech Republic because if Van Dyke was playing, then I think Holland would win this game with ease because he's probably with, I mean, I think he's the best defender in the world. I do too. Um, if We're not, he's back. definitely top three. Yeah, definitely. I think he's one of the top center backs in the world without a doubt. Um he just changes the game whenever he's on the pitch. So without him, they might struggle a little bit. But I think around like the 70th minute, I think Dutch is going to get a couple goals and break this game open and they'll advance.
0: And then move on to the big one tomorrow, Peyton. These are two world-class teams going head-to-head. Two top teams, two top 10 clubs in the world going doing battle in the round of 16. Regardless how you slice it, with Portugal being in the group of death, they were going to have a tough road to hoe unless they won their group. Um, if they would have finished second, they would have got Germany's spot and got to play England in the weaker side of the racket. But now since they finished third, they've got to play the top-ranked Belgium side. Um, we can debate whether you'd rather play England or Belgium. I know my answer. But it's here. It's tomorrow. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo. You've always got a fighting chance. But this Belgium side is tough up and down in the lineup, no matter how they shake out. They're going to have advantages, in my opinion, in the midfield maybe even as a whole in the attacking. Portugal, to me, the one main key for the Portuguese side tomorrow is their their back four. Peyton, you know it. I'm going to let you speak on it because this is your side. Um, and I'll just commentate and kind of pick and choose whatever. But we, there's been no mistake about it that the Portuguese defense has let them down in this tournament in a lot of ways. You have world-class – not necessarily world-class, but you have top-flight guys like Rafael Guerrero on the left. Um, I know Jao Cancelo had to be pulled out of the tournament on the right side because of the COVID protocols, but you've still got some good guys. I mean, as much as you love Pepe and the legend he is, his time is definitely past him. He's holding on by thread, and pacey guys are killing him right now. But let's see if he's got enough to muster it up to make one magical run through this tournament, and uh, he's going to have his hands full tomorrow having to defend the likes of Lukaku. (laughs) Lukaku. The season he had to enter and the way he's playing at Belgium now, he has put himself right there with Lewandowski as the top striker in the world.
1: Uh, without a doubt. Um, Pepe is going to have trouble. Him and um, Diaz is going to have trouble um, because not only do they have Lukaku, and there's a reason why they're the number one team coming in uh, this Euros. Uh, they got guys like Lukaku, who's a goal-scoring machine. Kevin DeBorn, who's probably one of the best central attacking mids in the game, playing playing for uh, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City team team. Um, who are, oh, oh, I swear to on God's green earth, if Eden Hazard buries us in this game, I mean, he's been <laughs> so shit from Madrid this past year, being an injury prone, missing 30 matches or whatever it was, I swear if he buries us in this game, I'm going to be f- livid. I'm going to be pissed. But they still have Eden Hazard. Um, I mean, if it, as long as he stays, if he stays healthy, he'll probably, he'll, he'll probably be good for them. But if he doesn't stay healthy, then... It's going to be just another Madrid situation like it was last year for us. But um, you already mentioned it. We got Cristiano Ronaldo. I still think. He's 36 years old. He's the leading goal scorer coming into this uh, in the Euros right now. He has five goals scored um, so far. And um, it's going to be tough. But right? Since we have him, there's always a chance, no matter what. He completely carried us in that France game, scoring two goals. The yeah, other was penalty kicks, but I don't care. Um, he scored those two penalty kicks, which gave us a draw after Benzema scored a brace himself. And, um, that made us, that let us, uh, finish third in the tournament or the knockout or, sorry, the group stage and ultimately advance. But, uh, yeah, this is definitely going to be tough. Um, it sucks that we don't have guys like a super sub, like Jal Felix to bring on because he's dealing with like a COVID protocol BS or whatever it is that, um, um, Kinsella is dealing with as well, so he's obviously. I he we can't bring him on. Uh, Renato Sanchez, uh, he started in the France game. I hope he starts in this Belgium game because he is a difference maker in that midfield. He's just chased, he's like absolutely. a absolutely, he's like another version of Conte. And I know Conte is really good, but I'm not saying Sanchez is not on that level, but he's probably like a level below Conte. Um, but he still does the same stuff that Conte does. He just chases people around in that midfield. He makes plays. Um, he did it in the Hungry game to really open this up and really tear them apart in the final 10 minutes of that game. Um, let us win three now. So he's definitely a difference maker. Andre Silva coming off the bench is a super sub. If we need him, he's going to be good for us. I really hope we can score very, very early. Like we have pretty much every game that we played so far. Besides, like, the Hungary game, it took us to the 80th minute. But in the Germany game, we scored first. I think Ronaldo got the first goal, if I believe, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. In
1: the France game, he got the penalty pretty early in the first half. So I think if we can score early and often, maybe go up 2-0 at halftime or 2-1. If we get a couple goals before halftime, I think I'd be very comfortable going to the second half because even though they got goal-scoring machines – they're in the same boat as us. Their defense is really not that good. They don't yeah, have Vincent Company. So, yeah,
0: you look, I'm looking at potential starting lineups here from uh, sportsmold.co.uk right now um, from a couple hours ago. And they look at Belgium's potential starting lineup. This isn't concrete. We won't know till tomorrow. But you look in the back, um, all, Toby Alderwild, Derek Boyata, Jan Vertongen, and uh, Munier. I mean, that's a good but not great it, back line.
1: Yeah, it's not
0: world-class at all. Um, and then you look at Portugal's – I'm really curious how Portugal's going to line up because they have a problem with Bruno Fernandes. He is a world – he turned into a world-class number 10 for Manchester United this year. As far as an attacking midfielder goes, Bruno Fernandes has a tremendous year. He turned himself into a stud, but with the Portuguese national team – Playing behind the shadow that is Cristiano Ronaldo, he has had a hard time finding his way. Um, they bring him off the bench most of the time. So do they try to get him in, start from the first minute, from the first touch, in which case they would probably go a 4-3-3 with Ronaldo playing as the striker, Fernandes maybe <clears> playing <throat> right behind underneath him, um, and then two wingers? Or do they continue to go down that road where they go maybe Carvalho and Neves and go to a 4 2 one with two center halves. Um, it's going to be really interesting, but Portugal's potential starting lineup looks like Patricio in the back, a back four of Nelson Samedo, um Diaz, Pepe, and Rafael Guerrero. They have Mutinho actually starting. It looks like if that's the case, that Portuguese are wanting to rely on their experienced uh, midfielder. Um, Danilo Pereira and Renato Sanchez, and then the front three of uh, Bernardo Silva, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Diego Jolta. I I don't know. You're the Portugal fan. What do you think about that? I have some ideas. I think I'd rather see because Fernandes has not been that great coming off the bench. I think you at least try to start him. I'd like to see a 4 3 3. Don't be so defensive minded and put the fucking pressure on Belgium.
1: Yeah, I like to see a midfield of uh, Fernandes as a cam position right behind Ronaldo. Um, Sanchez as like the left central mid, the right central mid, and John Matino as the other central mid. Go a little bit attacking. I really hope we can break their defense early. Um, I feel like if we do that, and like I said, they don't have a wood class. I mean, wood, he's experienced. He's been doing this for a while now. Played for Arsenal. I don't know if he still plays for Arsenal or not. I don't actually know where he's at currently, but he's still a good defender. A defender. It's He's not wood class, though. Um, so if we can break their defense early, dominate the midfield, Kevin De Bruyne, um, he's probably going to make plays because he's a superstar. That's what he does. Lukaku, he'll probably score a goal, maybe two. I can really see this being a classic shootout uh, because both defenses are just not there. Uh, Pepe's getting older. This is definitely probably his last year. It's what I'm saying, his last Euros tournament. Um, probably his last, maybe, I don't know if he'll play in the World Cup in a couple of years, uh, or not, but I don't he's gonna make
0: it that far. Yeah,
1: he's getting old. You can see it. He's losing these 1v1s. One, one he's not just losing, he's getting embarrassed out there as well. So, um, I don't know. Hopefully, and, we can break him early.
0: And the last fucking person on earth right now that you would want to play when you're struggling in 1v1s one and people with pace and strength is look at uh, Romelu Lukaku, That's the last person you want to see right now. There's a couple things for Portugal. Obviously, their defense. but I'm looking at individual players that I really want to see play to their potential or not necessarily their potential. Play like the superstars or caliber. I know they can and everybody knows they can. I'm looking at Bernardo Silva. Mm -hmm. He's great with Man City. Manchester City, he's phenomenal on the right wing. I actually think they've rotated and played him both and played him in through the center as camp. He's phenomenal, but he's been, in my opinion, been so quiet at this tournament, you wouldn't even know he's there. Jota has played better and more loudly than um, Bernardo Silva. That can't happen. I'm looking at Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, I know you're going to look at me like, what? He scores his goals, but Peyton, he takes some plays off. There's times he'll go 10 minutes, and you're like, what in the hell? But then all of a sudden, he'll go from the being the number nine striker to going out wide, calling for the ball, taking somebody 1v1 and creating a play. I want to see him more active in this Belgian game for a full 90, not just 55. I know he does a lot, but Ronaldo, if he wants Portugal to try to repeat and get by Belgium here to face Italy in a showdown, he's going to have to do a lot in this matchup. And then other, everybody, if you're watching this, tune in and watch the greatness it is, Kevin De Bruyne he's going to be all, he's going to play in the center of the park for um, Belgium as a cam, the number 10 role, but that dude will go out to the wing. He'll come back and defend. He is so great. I hope everybody gets a chance to watch his greatness tomorrow.
1: A uh, little fun fact, here. a couple fun facts. I probably shouldn't have, one of them I probably should have mentioned before I started previewing this game. Um, give me a break. It's been a while since I actually previewed something. So yeah, um, but talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, um, he's actually, of all the goalkeepers he's faced over his career, getting back to when he's at United, uh, spent all of his time in Madrid, now since he's at Juventus, he's scored the most goals against Courtois than any other goalkeeper um, that he's ever faced. He scored like 12 or 13 goals or something like that. I don't know what the exact stat is I posted on, face, on my Facebook page, but yeah, he scored the most when it comes to Courtois. And that's good for me because obviously I love Courtois because he plays from Real Madrid now. Uh, he's been our keeper for like the past two years now, and he's been playing pretty good. But hopefully, this is a game where he doesn't have a good game, and you know, we, we can we can put it on we can put it on them. So that's what I'm hoping for. I think Ronaldo. I think we're going to see the Ronaldo that we've seen in that Spain game in the group stage at the World Cup in 2018. So the Ronaldo who scored a hat trick, incredible scoring, like one of the greatest free kicks I've seen in my life, um, had me jumping up and down, celebrating. So. I think it's going to be a good game. Um, and another thing, this will be the first ever major tournament meeting uh, between Belgium and Portugal, including like the World Cup and the Euros. Um, Portugal are unbeaten in the last five matches against Belgium across all competitions um, since they lost 3 uh, 0. They had a three, Belgium beat them 3 0 in the World Cup qualifying back in September of 1989. So, wow. You know, we're unbeaten. Hopefully we keep that streak alive and hopefully we win, which okay. I think we will.
0: Official prediction time. Who moves on for the round of eight matchup with the Italians?
1: Uh I think Portugal wins three. I'll say I'll say four two actually. I think Ronaldo gets a brace. Um, I think Sanchez actually breaks through and gets a one. And I can see someone like Rafael Guerrero getting one. So I think we uh, win four-two.
0: I think this one's due do- destined for extra time as well, late drama. Um, I think a couple key substitutions um, are going to be the defining thing, and I think you get a late game winner in this one, something like 117th minute. I see Ronaldo going out on the shield regardless with the hat trick. Um, Belgium just does not do well in big tournaments, and this is the golden age of the Belgium national team. They're they absolutely have everything in the world to prove. And I just think they're going to fail again. I think history repeats itself. I can see 117th minute winner, Ronaldo with a hatty. I'm going a high scoring fair like you. Portugal, four. Belgium, three. Ronaldo, a hat trick. The game winner, though, comes from super sub. Uh, I was trying to think of somebody else, but no, we'll just go super. How about this game winner, super sub, the Milan man, Diogo Dallo at right back doing something crazy. Cause he's showed with Milan, he can do it. Um, Dallo gets the game winner and Portugal wins four, three Ronaldo hat trick, Lukaku scores, De Bruyne scores, and Thorgan hazard scores. And Portugal moves on to face Italy.
1: Listen, if Dallas scores the game winning, I'm buying me a Dallas shirt. One hundred percent.
0: Come back to Milan. Speaking of which, that's it for the Euros right now. We'll come back um, after the round of 16 is over with. We'll talk all about it, preview the round of eight and everything else in the next show. Let's move on to some other stuff, Peyton, Before we get out of here, this pilot's going a little longer than I wanted it to, but it's all good. We got some other stuff to talk about. Real quick, staying on the soccer team, AC Milan is my club team. I love AC Milan. We've got we're in the Champions League next year. I just got to say real quick, fuck Zizio Roma outside of the Italy national team and fuck Hakan Shalinoglu, especially Shalinoglu, going to Inter for basically the same money. Ah, fuck him and fuck <laughs> Inter. How about that? Milan's back though in the Champions League. We're back home. I'm happy to see it. Uh, permanently bought uh, Tomori in the center back role. Looking to make some deals. The Rumors is within the next week, basically, that uh, we'll come to an agreement with Real Madrid, your team, mm. to bring back uh, Brahim Diaz. We're talking about bringing in Luka Jovic. We're wanting to bring in from Barcelona Junior Firpo as a um, uh, right-back to Calabria as a deputy, or bring back Dallo because Gallo wants to come back. So Milan's making moves. Uh, can't wait to update them on this podcast as we go, and especially when we get the season in August. I love Milan. But, yeah, we're, we're making moves, and I'll keep everybody updated as we progress. But basically, we spent so much time on the Euros, I want to focus on that. But AC Milan news is coming at you hard and fast on this show, so be ready for it. Peyton, the same way, what you got on Madrid, anything?
1: Uh, besides, we haven't really done too much. Um, besides, we bought Dave, David Alaba, uh left back from uh, Bayern Munich. So he's probably going to start for us now. He's probably going to take over the left back position, or him and Minnie's probably going to go back and forth. I probably rather have David Alaba, in my opinion. So we haven't we've been pretty quiet uh, for the summer transfer market, um, you know, until we buy Mbappe. But,
0: yeah. Um, Besides talking us, <laughs> because you did get Ancelotti back.
1: Yes, that's very true. Adan left again, um, but we did get a former manager, which we have had success before. Zidane came, um, Carlos Ancelotti. So hopefully he can, we can do uh, repeat what we did with him before he left and before Zidane took over. But real quick on Barham Diaz that you just mentioned. Um, I actually have an article that's on uh, acmilan.theoffside.com. Uh-huh. Um, Sky Sports via Milan News uh, reporting basically what you said. Uh, they're trying to come to negotiations between uh, Barham Diaz And uh, our president, Real Madrid's president, Florentino Perez, actually spoke to the press and he said, and I quote, Brahim has had the opportunity to demonstrate his great talent in Milan. If he cannot play continuously here, we would like him to do it at Milan. I can't talk about other things because I don't know what will happen yet. So I think he's still going to try to bring uh, Brahim Diaz back to Madrid, but if it don't work out... Then it sounds like he wants him to be a Madrid, uh, not a Madrid, so he wants him to be uh, a Milan player once again, just because he had a great, um, he had a well, great year from Milan. So that's good news for you. If we keep him, that's good news for me. But it should so, be, yeah, go ahead.
0: So so here's the deal on Diaz, too, because he's a Spanish youngster. He's like 23, 24 years old. He really came into his own and really was key getting Milan across that line to finish second in City A. Return to the Champions League after nine years and all that, or seven years, eight years, whatever. Um, He wants to come back. He said he'd love to come back to Milan, but he also loves Madrid. I mean, keep in mind, he's a Spanish kid. Madrid is his parent company. He's been on loan at Milan. He loves Madrid. He wants to be at Madrid, but he also wants to be at Milan. He's got the best of both worlds. And what people don't understand, the top two winningest European giants, Madrid with the most Champions League, Milan with second most, Um, have a great relationship. Carl Ancelotti, your new coach that used to be your old coach, all that success with you, had success, won our last Champions League. There's so many connections between the two. The two Giants have a great working relationship where we've traded talent, you guys loan us people, we had cut deals for each other. So uh, Diaz is in a great spot. If he has the opportunity and Ancelotti feels like he's in his plans, he'll go back and fight for a spot for Madrid. If not, Ancelotti has no problem, and Diaz would love to come back to Milan. He's in a great spot. He's in a spot you and I would envy because that's our two clubs.
1: <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. I-, I would love him. I would love for him to come back. He had a couple with you at Milan, so I think he would really help our attacking front. Yeah. Um... But if he doesn't come back, then I hope he stays from Milan because he had a good deal there. Actually, a couple more things with Madrid that I just actually looked up. It says here, we uh, Real Madrid are using tw- uh, Euro 2020 as an opportunity to scout RB Lipstick's uh, Danny Almo. Or um, he's a midfielder uh, who came through the La Messia Academy at Barcelona. Um, so... Hopefully he's a midfielder, so hopefully he'll be shrinking on midfield if we do get him. I think Atletico Madrid is trying to go after him as well.
0: He's a so, great player. He's a great player. We we were linked to him last summer.
1: Yeah. So it's going to be battle between the city rivals of Madrid and who, who gets Almo. So hopefully we can win that. But um, the other thing, uh, it's funny. I was just talking about of Bale, but I just seen something here uh, four hours ago posting about MLS soccer that – Report LA Galaxy Open Talks assigned Gareth Bell from Real Madrid.
0: Wow. That's that's shocking. I, cause that's the first I've heard of that.
1: Yeah. It just came out full Agio as I was looking. And it's posted on
0: MLSsoccer.com. So, yeah. Wow. Um, well, it would be interesting to see what Madrid, because they've really been quiet other than now. But normally, because they've got all the money and, you know, it would be interesting um, to see where they land from here. Real right. quick again. Fuck Hock and <laughs> the, People don't understand. Inter won the City A, which is the Italian Domestic League. And they're, they're in the same city. They're in Milan, Italy. We share the same stadium. So imagine if Duke and North Carolina or Kentucky and Louisville were in the same damn city and shared the same plot of land. And then you go from wearing a, a North Carolina jersey all of a sudden, you're gonna leave on your own when they offer you a chance to say to be like, "No, I'm gonna go play for Duke." That's what that's like for all of our other sports fans. So once again, fuck Hakan Calanoglu.
1: Yeah, it'd be like you know, and Rodgers is having his deal with package. It'd be like him leaving package willingly and going playing for the Bears. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that. Um, real quick though, talking about Madrid, my final thing. Uh, Bravo to Sergio Ramos on a great career at Real Madrid. One of the greatest center backs of all time. Um, He's been there since like early 2000s I think around like 2002 or something like that. Incredible year. He was our captain for like the longest of times after Casillas left. He took over the captain spot in like 2000 like 2010 or something around that time and uh, he's definitely been a great player for us and uh, it sucks we couldn't resign him. He wanted to resign but I guess Perez decided to go other ways and really pushed him out of Madrid, which sucks because I actually wanted, kind of wanted him to come back and finish his career with Madrid. But it's whatever. Uh, I don't know where he's going to go now. Um, we'll see. But um, yeah, hats off to him for a phenomenal, legendary career. And he'll always be a Madridista no matter what. He'll Gra- always represent Los, Los Blancos.
0: Gracias, grande Sergio Ramos. Seriously, congratulations. Uh, great player. Let's see. He wants to still play at a top flight for another year or two, but I don't know if health wise, injury wise, he's going to have to really come down on his wages. He opened talks with Milan a couple days ago, but his wage demands are ridiculous. Even though he'd be a free transfer, he's wanting something like Peyton, like $25 million Just to, And nobody, unless you're PSG, that just throws stupid money around, it doesn't care about the FFP rules. Um, yeah, they're not going to do that so if he comes down with asking price he could easily be a, a which would be interesting um moving on away from soccer i'm sure everybody else price skip through us and not listen to us or whatever but hopefully whatever let's move on to some other sports real quick on this pilot and i promise you again not everything's going to be soccer all the time we're going to spend there's going to be episodes where we might talk whatever nba draft one day most of the time or maybe we talk about the nfl or baseball or whatever fighting wrestling whatever it just depends today where it's soccer's topical so deal with it um mlb peyton i know you don't follow baseball a whole lot but um the reds continue to be 500 baseball they did win today against the braves won this series they're now 38 37 let me see how the brewers did or are doing the brewers won 10-4 so they're still five behind all I ask for is that the Reds be within a couple games of All-Star break here in a few weeks. If we're within a couple games like this, and we that means we have a chance, that's all I ask for. I just don't want to be out of it. And right now we're not out of it. Hopefully we can put a run together. Um, some surprises, though, and, again, I know you're not the baseball guy, which I, I am. I love baseball. Um, you look at the standings. I mean, the AL East is a crazy one. The Red Sox start off the Ohio of team in baseball Now the Rays are leading that division. Red Sox only one back. But the Yankees, after struggling for most of it, are coming on hot. They're four and a half back. The Blue Jays are five and a half back. I mean, there's a lot of craziness. The Houston Astros have caught fire now. They're leading leading AL West. Over in NL. Hold on. Where is the NL? Oh, there it is. DNL, the, the Mets are leading the NL East. The, the aforementioned Brewers leading the NL Central. Three games over the Cubs, uh, I guess six and a half now on the Reds, but we're still getting that. Fuck it. We're still ahead of the Cardinals. So, <laughs> and then the surprise to me of the year so far is the out in the NL West. Everybody came in and thought it'd be this crazy two horse race between the Dodgers and the Padres because how loaded on paper their teams are with the moves they've made in the offseason, the pitching staffs the batting lineups, but the, the biggest surprise, and I think they've got the best record in the NL and one of the best records in baseball is the San Francisco Giants. Sitting here right now at 49 and 26. They're currently playing, as we speak, the Oakland Athletics, and they're four and a half up on both the Dodgers and the Padres. They're nine and one in their last 10. They beat the shit out of the, the Reds in both series. We played them this year, both home and away. The, to me, the Giants are the biggest surprise in baseball right now. So you just never know. I love baseball, especially as we get closer to October and you playoff start. So I'm hoping the Reds can put together and make a playoff run, but we'll see. I mean, Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, oh, my God. Top two in the whole freaking National League in our batting average. Top five for both in RBIs. I mean, they're just smacking the shit out of the ball. Jesse Winker leading the league in doubles. Those two are definitely all-stars. And to me, all-stars starters and out thirds the National League. Just saying. So do you I know you don't pay attention to baseball that much, <laughs> but do you have anything? Uh go reds. That's the only thing I got. I don't I don't, I don't I have I don't think I've watched a
1: base. I haven't watched a baseball game like all season. I don't think I've watched any baseball games in like the past two years. it's something I used to love. I loved playing it when I was a kid, playing little league. Uh, well, playing coach's pitch, excuse me, and playing on the all-star team was a lot of fun. Uh, I played shortstop mostly, but in the all-star team, I played really every position besides catcher. Um, and I had a lot of fun, but I don't know, like over the years, I just really never really cared too much about watching baseball, especially since I've grown an uh, uh, interest in like watching soccer. Soccer became my second favorite sport behind college basketball. So I don't know, I just don't really care to watch baseball. I think the season's way too long for me to keep up date with everything. And uh, the games sometimes just drag on way too long for me. And I just, I don't know. I just, it doesn't interest me. But go Reds. Fuck Cardinals.
0: <laughs> that, right, there we go. So moving on to something I do know you know about. Earlier this past week, we had the NBA lottery draft. And the winner of the, to me, the Cade Cunningham sweepstakes, the Detroit Pistons, get the number one draft pick, Peyton. The rest of the lottery played out as such: Detroit one, Houston two, Cleveland gets the third pick, Toronto four, Orlando five, Oklahoma City six, Golden State seven, Orlando eight, Sacramento nine, New Orleans ten, Charlotte eleven, San Antonio twelve, Indiana Pacers thirteen. Where did we go from there? I lost. Oh, um, Golden State fourteen, and the Washington Wizards. 15, all inside the lottery, Peyton, the Pacers, picking the lottery for the first time in a little while. Um, obviously, it's the same thing we knew coming in, as being called basketball fans, the top two or three guys, have still top four actually have still kind of remained the same in the draft board, if it held chalk, if you were the Detroit Pistons, Peyton, you had the first pick on the clock, who do you take here in a couple weeks in the NBA, or I guess in a month, that's the your thing is, who do you take in the NBA draft? If you don't take K. Cunningham, then
1: you are high. Um, I'm sorry, Kate Cunningham's the best, <clears throat> the best prospect in the draft, with 100%. He's 6'8", who can score. He has elite court vision. Um, he's a superstar. Like if you just go back and watch what he did against teams in the Big 12 conference, um, like Baylor, who's end up winning the national championship. Look what he did against them. Look what he did against Kansas. This dude is off. Uh, Freaking superstar! I cannot wait to watch him play in the NBA next year. I haven't really kept too much update besides what Donovan mentioned and what he's done this year. But next year, I definitely will because Kate Cunningham. I think Lamelo Ball had a hell of a year this year, winning the Rookie of the Year. I see K Cunningham doing the exact same thing Lamelo Ball did. Um, he's a superstar. And plus. Not even to mention, not only can he drive, he can pass, he can play for his teammates, but he also shot forty percent from three. What more can you ask uh, from a point guard, combo guard type? So, yeah, he's an NBA prospect ready to go. He has an NBA body. If Detroit doesn't pick Cade Cunningham, then you're dumb. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, um, Evan Mobley currently slotted to the second to Houston. Um, I think that's good enough for Houston. They're in full rebuild mode. I think as long as John Wall stays there, Evan Mobley and John Wall could be interesting. They won't win a whole lot of games, but it could still be interesting enough. Um, Jalen Green slotted to go third. Jalen Suggs, four. Jonathan Kaminga, five, round out the top five. We kind of knew those top five that basically stayed the same all year in some form or fashion.
1: Yeah, without Uh, a
0: doubt. Um, how about surprising? The draft combine's been going on. Keon Johnson.
1: Oh, my God. The
0: freshman guard from Tennessee, his draft stock has skyrocketed during this combine. He's now projected to go ninth to the king but Peyton he just broke the record for combine hygiene or the um, the vertical leap. it was like 47 inches of 48, yeah, 48,
1: inches, 48 or like I think it. I think it was
0: 48 that's was incredible. ridiculous
1: <clears throat> yeah he is a freak <laughs> to be I'm nice look,
0: about it I'm looking at some of these Peyton they have Davion Mitchell from Baylor going oh, yeah I was whether he goes to New Orleans, higher or lower, whoever gets Davion Mitchell is getting a winner. We've talked about him when everything college basketball, how much, how special he is. Whoever gets him is getting a winner, in my opinion.
1: Without a doubt. He's my dark horse in this uh, draft, um, especially if he goes to the Pelicans with Zion, uh, Brandon Egram. Uh, I think J.J. Redick's still there, J.J. Redick. Uh, He'll get good good tutelage from him. Um, I think I don't know if Drew Holiday's still there or not, but um, yeah, he's a he's a great player. He's literally a Donovan Mitchell 2.0. He's just a little bit better defender and not as good as the offense player as uh, Spider was. So yeah, he's gonna be incredible wherever he goes. I think I actually want him to go to New Orleans because I think that'd be a good pick or good um, place for him to start his career at. But uh, if not, then. I wouldn't mind him seeing him dropping 13th to the Pacers. Oh uh,
0: hell I, know, yeah.
1: I know Indiana's uh, on NBA draft.net has him picking Corey Kispert, which Corey I don't Kisper, actually yeah. like that pick at all, to be fair. Me neither,
0: to be honest. I don't either.
1: Um, There's two people. As uh, Obviously, Davion Mitchell is number one, but down at 17th in Memphis. We were thinking have, the same
0: thing. They have right. him
1: drafting A.U. Donsoon with Illinois Superstar. Him and John Morant paired up together. Yeah.
0: Oh, my. Uh, um, one will obviously have to play off ball, and it's probably going to be Don Sumo, to be fair. Yeah. But if you got them to play, if you got him to play as shooting guard for a lot or even run the second unit there for a while in Memphis as he continues to grow, oh, my God. You talk about fun in Memphis now. I, I was looking at the exact <laughs> same situation. Um. A, a couple other really interesting ones. It's not going to make a huge difference, but we talked about Kaminga going to Orlando in fifth. Orlando also has the eighth pick, and the, according to the NBA draft.net, would take Moses Moody. Take, a you, give, you give a, a, a lineup at point guard, Cole Anthony, who's there, will be a sophomore or you know his second year running the show in Orlando. Moses Moody running alongside him with the athletic freak that is Jonathan Mingo running for lobs. That could be real. And plus, you still have Mo Bamba there for now. That could be yeah. real interesting in Orlando. I don't say – I'm not going to say they're going to win a bunch of games. No. I'm talking about youthful and maybe fun to watch. That could be real interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, what I've heard, it's fun to watch this year because Cole Anthony had an incredible year um, for the Magic. So you pair him up with Moses Moody along with Mo Bomber. That's a great trio right there. Um, he definitely could do some damage. I wouldn't be interested in him going to Orlando. Or oh, him maybe going a little bit early, going to Golden State. I know they have him as a seventh pick, or James Boot Knight going to Golden State as a seventh pick, which won't be a bad option. But I think on paper, I'd rather have Moses Moody than I would James Boot Knight. That's just me personally, though.
0: How about, going down in the draft, um, of course, these are all speculations and people projecting stuff out, but how about 24th? Of mm, My boy Johnny Juzang, pair him up with John Wall. That would be cool.
1: That would be great for Johnny. Uh, Question. Because not too far. Obviously, I was was going to mention him. I was going to mention two picks later, Denver drafting Greg Brown. If you was both of these guys, would you – is that too late for you to go in the draft? Would you come back? Because if Johnny Drazan comes back to UCLA and Greg Brown comes back to Texas, both of these teams are title contenders in my eyes. Because Texas, they still have Matt Coleman. They still have Courtney Laney, And they got Chris Beard as new coach. So if both of these guys come back to their respective teams, both of these teams are national title contenders. Yeah. Would you getting, come back or would you stay in the draft?
0: I think it all depends because if you were lottery, then that's guaranteed. Yeah. A like lot
1: yeah certain fine.
0: money, right? Like you're on a certain deal. I know first round's guaranteed as a whole, but lottery's more. Um, it all depends, I guess, on your motives and financial situation, as it is always. If you're Comfortable enough to come back for another year in college, then yeah, you probably come back, especially to me, like a guy like Johnny Juzang. He is red hot right now. So it's a weird spot. Is his stock going to ever get higher than it is now after his run in the NCAA tournament? But also, if he comes back to the NCAA and plays another year, he's going to be a preseason guy right there for the Wooden Award. And if he shows out the whole year, now he goes from maybe 24th to next year, maybe he's inside the top 10. Would it pan out? But you go the other way. What if he doesn't pan out or has the, you know, it stays as red hot, then he misses the, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a tough one to, to decide. Personally, of course, I'd like to see him come back because college basketball is a <clears> deal. <throat> but I'm looking though, Peyton, how about down at pick 29, they have Jared Butler going to the Phoenix Suns who are currently leading um, 2-1 right now in the series in the Western Conference Finals. Peyton, if you put a guy like Jared Butler, national championship guard, all around can do it, can play at the point guard, preferably a shooting guard, but can knock threes down, dribble, drive, defend his ass off, rebound a good teammate and an known winner on a team that's already doing good with Devin Booker and company and Chris Paul, that is a matchup made in heaven, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think that was the Phoenix. That's a great – pick for them, especially for him to go there because obviously they're probably, uh, probably the favorite to win the NBA title this year. I'd say so. I know it's 2-2 between them and uh, the Clippers, but they're still one of the favorites to win it all. And um, You pair him with, you mentioned guys like Devin Booker and being under the tutelage and be able to learn of one of like the greatest point guards and one of the greatest um, basketball cues in the game and Chris Paul, uh, it's only just going to help him develop even more. But two things I want to mention um, why I think people just make, in my opinion, bad decisions. You look at pick number 33 in the second round and pick number 38.
0: 33,
1: Orlando picking Deshaun Nix, G League. Uh, Pick 38, Chicago picking Isaiah Todd, G League. Both of these guys were five-star prospects. Isaiah Todd was committed to play for Michigan. Uh, Deshaun Nix committed to play for UCLA. Both of these teams were very good last season, had a very good chance of going really deep, especially in the Final Four. Um, But they ultimately decided to decommit and go to the G League route. Uh, Obviously, Jalen Green, he's third. He went to the G League route. He's a different breed.
0: And So did Kaminga. And that's why I was getting to speak on your point. For every, though, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, there's a Deshaun Knicks and Isaiah Todd. Yeah. And more, actually. For every two, there's ten that's like that. And I'm yep. with you. They just sometimes you make bad choices for the temporarily money. No, they're going to cost themselves. Because they do go second round, there's no guaranteed spot. They could be cut and be back in the G League. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. I, I thought you were going to mention how weird is it to look at the first round and not see one Kentucky player. Not one. They have Isaiah Jackson as the highest Kentucky prospect right now at 32 to the New York Knicks.
1: Yeah, i
0: uh, looked looking DJ at Boston, it, uh, 39. There, there's, get, only, there's only two Kentucky players named, God rest his soul, yeah, Bart, that's yeah. sad, but there's only two Kentucky players.
1: Yeah, I was actually getting mentioned, but actually I was wrong that there's actually, I, I don't see like any other like um, blue blood teams in there, but obviously Jalen Johnson is 11th pick for Duke and then Donny DeZong from UCLA, he's in there. So like I said, uh, But, yeah, even Kansas players, like, the highest Kansas player is, I think, Miles Garrett at pick number, what was it? Oh, 52.
0: Yeah.
1: That's that's wild. And and, uh, Mr. 60, uh, whatever they call him, the last pick in the draft going to the Pacers is Matthew Hurt. Matthew Hurt, Hurt, yeah.
0: Sometimes these guys, man, and especially – you know, what well, you're talking about the college argument, now with the, your name and image likeness, you're able to make money off of it. There's no reason not to go to college. Why would you go to the G League now when you can make, you know, I don't know, uh, $500,000, I don't know, half a million, right? I That's still good money. And it's probably less than that, to be honest, unless you're a high, high profile guy, right? I'm sure Jonathan Kuminga made maybe like a million or three quarters or whatever, but still... In college now, if you're a top guy, dude, you can come back and get dealership sponsorships now. You can sell your autograph or whatever the hell you want. You can make cash off your name now. Why in the hell would you not go to college or come back?
1: Yeah, I definitely would pick the college route or I mean, route, especially when they start getting paid. Like, it's going to be the number one option if you want to get um, TV time and uh, especially if you want to make a little bit of money. But final thing in this draft for me, and it's actually kind of sad. I don't know if he's already hired an agent. I know he's already declared for the draft. I peep, I'm, I'm probably sure that he's hired an agent already. But pick number 44 going to Brooklyn, we got David Johnson. Um, yeah. I actually don't like him going to Brooklyn. I'm not a big Kyrie Irving fan, just like you're not a big James Harden fan. Um, I don't think that would be a good fit for him. Like oh, to I don't, see him come I don't back.
0: like back. either. I don't like him either.
1: Yeah, I like to see him come back to Louisville because if he comes back, then – we have, one, once again, we have another underrated um, uh, guard play. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't know if he's hiding the agent yet. I haven't done my research, but I know for sure he's already declared. But i like to him come back. But if he doesn't, it's whatever.
0: Real quick, um, before we move away from the NBA as a whole, Peyton, we're in the conference finals for both Eastern and Western. And it is nice to look around and we're going to have a new champion. Um, maybe for the Suns, Clippers, or the Hawks first championship ever and the first one for the Bucks for God knows how long. Um, it, it is nice to see some parity, some new blood that's not named the Warriors, the Lakers, the Celtics, or whoever. Um, currently, game four of the Western Conference Finals is on ESPN right now, and the Suns are putting it on the Clippers 44-29. Still a lot of game left in that, though, in the second quarter. Phoenix up 2-1, Peyton. Can Devin Booker – they're calling him the next Kobe Bryant, the way he's playing and got that killer mentality. He's a former Kentucky man. Can Devin Booker do the unthinkable and bring a title to the desert?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think he at least gets him there. But I – I hate these comparisons because, like, he's just getting his career started. Let him actually develop. And, you no, know, I know he's a superstar now. He got snubbed on the All-Star. He should have been an All-Star. I don't know why he wasn't. Um, he's having a great year, phenomenal year. But I, I get, like, the mentality-wise, yes, yeah, sure. He probably has that mama mentality. But I just don't like these comparisons. He's so young. What, he's, like, 24 or something, 25-ish, yeah. around that? Yeah. Let him get, like, into his 30s before he starts yeah. making these comparisons. That's just me, but... I'd love to see a matchup, a finals matchup between Trey Young and Hawks versus Devin Booker and the Suns. I feel like that would be a fun matchup to watch, uh, two young guns going at it uh, in the playoffs or in the championship. And uh, I think Suns are going to close the Clippers out, um, especially without Kawhi. I don't know if he's. I don't think he's playing in today's game. I think he's still out with his knee injury, whatever it is. But. Um, yeah, I think the Clippers get taken out in the semifinals and uh, or the Western Conference Finals. I think the Bucks and Hawks probably go seven games. And I think Ice Shay would get it done though. Him and John Collins, two young guns. I think they get it done. And Finals matchup, you got Hawks versus Suns. That's my prediction.
0: I, I'm agreeing with you there. Um, as far as the Suns go, I think they're going to close out in five, especially if they end up winning this game four tonight against the Clippers. Um, I think that's a dagger being at 3-1. You guarantee you to at least come back to Phoenix. Um, Yeah, I, I think they're going to put it away in five, to be honest with you, tonight and then, then a couple days from now go to their first finals since the Barkley era. And then over in the East, I think it's going to go seven games like you do, but I think it's going to be the Bucks. I think the Greek freak is determined after the last couple years of having a top-seeded team, getting bounced, um, I think he's going to find a way to lead his team, especially after helping you know rally back and knock out that super team of the Nets so that everybody thought would be there. I-, I see him being determined, pulling his team, even though he can't shoot. He still makes plays. He's not Ben Simmons-esque and passes up jump shots. So I-, I see Milwaukee and Phoenix, and then I think Phoenix. I-, I feel like once you're hot, momentum means a lot in sports, and. There's not a better player in the world right now than Devin Booker. That's at least still left in the game. So, yeah, uh, Phoenix and Milwaukee NBA Finals. If you'd have told somebody that 15 years ago, they would have thought you were smoking crack. I promise you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. Um, CP3 finally gets his first title. really, he really, really deserves, to be honest. Um, he's been a great player in this league. So it would be nice to see him win it finally. So um, and I'm a fan ahead. of Devin Booker as well. So.
0: so let's go ahead. Like I said, I, I'm bad about this. I'm always like, ah, let's just do like a 30-minute show, and then we get to talk. And it's okay. It's the pilots. We're throwing it all out there, so you kind of get the whole gamut. We'll rein it in some. I, I got two more things I kind of want to talk to you about, and then that's it. We'll move on fastly. The first one, Peyton, we'll come back to this maybe in the next episode or in a couple of episodes to give a full breakdown – but I want you off the top of your head to fantasy book the UFC lightweight division. And how if this was if you were if say this was pro wrestling and you were the booker, how would you fantasy book the lightweight division moving forward into this time next year? Because I have my own ideas. I'm curious as to how you would do it. All uh, right, let me
1: pull up the lightweight. Let me pull up USC.com. Let me see
0: lightweight. I'll, I'll, I'll give you mine real quick, okay? How about okay. that? I got to pull it up now, but go ahead. If, if I was fantasy booking in a perfect world, Dustin and Connor 3 is coming up in two or three weeks. Connor gets the win, starches Dustin. He's back in the fold. In the meantime, you have Michael Chandler and um, – And, uh, oh, I can't think. Justin Gaethje matchup in a top five matchup. Connor gets, because it's Connor, he gets Charles Oliveira, okay? At the, you know, in the fall, at the end of the year, December. Connor beats Oliveira, takes the title, reclaims reclaims his throne. The winner of Gaethje and Chandler, I don't really care who it is, right? Tries to stake a claim for the title shot. Then sometime early next year, you can do Oliveira versus um, Dustin Poirier. Um, I'm not even worried about Islam Makashev because I really don't care about him. To me, he's boring. Um, Then sometime early next year, we'll say like, I don't know, March, April. Connor faces the winner of uh, Gaethje and Chandler. Of course, Connor wins, right? Fourier and Oliveira do their business. Um, in a fantasy world, I would say Fourier wins just to kind of give him a bounce back because you need him for the namesake. Um, and then what I'm getting at is what sets up down the I mean, you still have Tony Ferguson in there. You have um, Dariush. I mean, Dariush and Islam can fight, whatever. But what I'm getting at is setting up a year from now. Because he won't fight during Ramadan and all that stuff, so we're looking at if it's fantasy booking for the lightweight deal, a red-hot Conor McGregor who got a belt back, has already defended against the top guy in either Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. He pulls Habib out of retirement, and sometime in like September, October, after Ramadan and everything's done, Habib comes back, and you do the largest gate you've ever seen in UFC history habib connor too with the roles reverse connor champion habib chasing and of course you do the business there also underneath you could have any time you could have tony maybe try to get some wins to get back dariush like i said versus islam you could do chandler um you could do chandler poirier you could do gaichi and what if max holloway said screw it i'm coming up the lightweight that would be fun. Uh, so you have a whole bunch of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're fantasy booking this, you're getting Conor red hot and getting the belt back on him and getting him all the way back to Habib rolls reverse round two or part two, a focus Conor this time. That does mega numbers. All right.
1: So my turn. Um, obviously, you got Olivier as the champion right now. Obviously, we got Poirier and Connor. that's coming up, and what, like a couple, actually a couple weeks, isn't it? Two or three like, weeks, yeah. Yeah, it's like, like July twelfth or some shit like that. July tenth or around that area, I know, early July. So, obviously, we get that. That's all set and sound. Connor wins, hopefully. Um, he wins the trilogy, beats Dustin Poirier. So, um, after that, I'd actually want to do a rematch between Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. I still think Tony Ferguson wasn't his best when he first fought Gaethje. He was preparing for Khabib. Completely different fighter, uh, Gaethje compared to Khabib. Um, so I, I think that played the factor. Uh, Tony Ferguson wasn't really ready for a guy like Justin Gaethje to pressure him because normally Tony Ferguson does the pressuring and just he got his ass whooped pretty much. And Gaethje did definitely deserve to, to win that fight, and he did. I like to see Gaethje and Tony Ferguson redo it, go for another round. Um, I don't really care who, too much who wins. I actually want to see. Um, an underrated matchup. I'd like to see a guy like Dan Hooker go against Kevin Lee. I'm still a big fan of Kevin Lee. Even though he hasn't really had too much success too recently. Uh, he's 11th in the UFC rankings right now. Um, he's still a young guy and he still talks a lot of shit. And he's still really good in my opinion. So I'd like to see a guy like Dan Hooker or a guy like Kevin Lee go up against a guy like Dan Hooker. I think that would be an interesting fight. So we got that set in stone. We got to do something with Michael Chandler. We can't not have him. He just didn't. He just lose the belt.
0: Well, he lost the opportunity. He lost. Him. Yeah, he
1: lost. Excuse me. He lost the opportunity for it. We gotta do something with him. Let's pay him and Rafael dos up. up. Uh, let them go at it. Um, with that being said, Connor, after he beats Dustin Poirier, hopefully, uh, I don't. He'll, ah, okay, he'll get another. He'll get a title shot because he's Conor McGregor. Whoever wins that fight's getting the title shot, in my opinion. So, Connor beats uh, Dustin Poirier, wins the trilogy. He fights Olivier, beats Olivier, becomes uh, a two-time lightweight champion. Conor is then challenger. Tony Ferguson beats Justin Gaethje in a rematch. Tony Ferguson and Conor McGregor finally match up after Tony Ferguson's been calling him McNugget, um, talking so much shit to Conor. They finally fight at a huge pay-per-view. Conor smashes uh, Tony Ferguson, shuts him up for good. Um puts it up to that McNugget and all that shit that he's been saying. So Connor, all he has a title fence. He's won the belt. He's got the title defense. Um what after that? Uh who else I had? I had Dan Hooker and Kevin Lee. Don't really care who wins that fight. I still think it'll be a good one. And then after that, I think Connor will probably do the trilogy with Nate, Nate Diaz. Right, uh, yeah. for either for the belt or for not the belt. Um, I still think that's a perfect time after he beats Tony Ferguson. He faces another tough opponent, um, a guy he's familiar with. Uh, they finally do the trilogy after been teasing it for like the past, I don't know, two or three years since they lost fight, lost fight. So, you finally do the trilogy. It's a huge pay per view gate. The fans are high. You can do it in New York. You can do it um, Las Vegas. It don't even matter. You can even ah, I wouldn't do it in Ireland. You can do it in Las Vegas or in New York. That's going to be a huge pay per view. Everybody's going to be excited for that. Um. And then after that, I don't think Khabib's coming back ever. Even if Conor talks all this shit and starts smashing kids, or smashing guys like he used to do um, before he went to, like, the, uh, to the boxing and fought Ford, um, I still don't – I think Khabib's actually done for good. Um, so I think that rematch is completely off, even though I agree. If, they, if he ever comes back, especially if Connor's champion, that's the biggest pay-per-view
0: of all time, but the biggest fight threw- of all time. Keep in mind, I said we're fantasy booking, so you yeah. have the, the ability to bring him back, though.
1: Yeah, but my thing is, is I I don't know if I want to see that fight again. To be honest, um, I don't I don't know how I feel about that. I'd rather see Conor face Tony Ferguson and Conor face Nate than I would to see Conor and Khabib round two, because I still think Khabib probably. I mean, I'm a Connor fan. I don't like to be, but I still think to be probably finds a way to win that. Does the same shit he does in the first matchup, but um, You're
0: probably right. We I think too. Connor's the only person ever went around against him, and he did it with apparently not focusing training camps and everything. He's drinking too much, and he still he, he caught him with some good ones. He just didn't have conditioning and to shut down the first round, he shut down the wrestling.
1: Yeah, uh, it depends on how he fights really against. Poirier coming up for the trilogy. Because um, even the Cerrone fight, uh, after he starts sharing, he looked pretty good. But he still, he's, even he admitted he was a little bit rusty. He threw that left hand, which is a wire left hand. He's lucky he didn't get caught from it. But he still looked a little bit rusty. He had to knock the, uh, the rust off. But um, if he comes out and just starts his Poirier, and then in my fantasy booking uh, beats Olivier and then beats Ferguson and then beats Diaz. And just pretty convincingly, actually, like knocks him out this time, not going into decision. Um, then I can, yeah, I think Khabib will actually probably will come back. But if he doesn't, then I, either way, my fantasy building ends with Connor becoming a champion. And even if he beats DS, Connor moves up to welterweight and fights uh, Kamal Uzman.
0: Um, Try be becomes there.
1: a two time champ champ.
0: I'm with you there. Now, we'll leave it at that. Um, We will do a lot of UFC and boxing going forward because I love combat sports. So, we'll do a lot of that on this show. Rounding out today's show, the pilot episode. I know it's been a long one, guys. Thanks for hanging in there with us. But we got to finish off with some racing. Um, We don't do NASCAR, really. But we got to give a shout-out to Kyle Larson. That dude is on fucking fire. Is there a better driver in the world at anything with four wheels, two wheels, anything?
1: No. No, not
0: at all. Yes. four wins in a row in NASCAR, including the um, all-star race, three consecutive points-paying races. He's second in the points in NASCAR. I do know that. He's, he's ridiculous. And then he comes back and drives dirt all the time. But we'll focus mo- mainly on dirt, Peyton. Um, looking around at the world of late models a couple weeks ago, obviously, Brandon Overton did the unthinkable. Slept four consecutive days at the Dream 100, winning two dreams in the span of four days A combined two hundred and seventy, was it seventy three thousand? Yeah, two. Yeah, that's right. Two hundred seventy three thousand dollars in four days of automobile driving for dirt late models is unheard of. Uh, He's ridiculous. He just won a a preliminary night last night at the Firecracker One Hundred. He's the number one driver in Dirt on Dirts top twenty five poll. Him and Jonathan Davenport are just. It seems like they're the only two drivers winning anything this year, and dirt, anyways.
1: <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Um, very impressive. You mentioned you kind of mentioned the firecracker. I have an update from Ward of uh the late models at Larnaville for the firecracker. And less updated three minutes ago, seventy-eight laps to go. Chris Madden, leading Turbo just took second away from Overton. So we'll see Turbo? who runs up. Yeah, Turbo. What it says. Hold on. It's, well, it says number one and it said, um, what is it? Oh, it might have been, I don't know. Actually. I, just, I don't, think I don't heard, know. Well, it says, it says number one on there. I actually don't, don't know. Yeah,
0: it could be Brandon Shepard, then. Could be Ship. Yeah, I
1: guess it could be Ship. Yeah, okay, whatever, then. Either way, Madden's leading with 78 to go. Um,
0: I Last night, Summer Nationals, 10 grand to win at Sycamore Speedway in Maple Park, Illinois. B. Shirley, Brian Shirley, the squirrel, was able to pick up the $10,000 check. Topping Bobby Pierce, Ashton Winger, Ryan Unziger, and Jason Fager to the line round top five. Shannon Babb was 10. Philly Moyer Jr. was nice, Peyton, um, as far as the top guys. Summer Nationals, they've just too many races spread out. It's lost its natural identity, in my opinion, where it was only like 22 races in the span of like 26 days. Um, and then you had all the top guys. I'm talking Moyer, Kevin Weaver, Rick Auckland, etc. Bab O'Neill, etc. Now it's just yeah, yeah. You got I mean, sure Scher- or Pierce. He's leading the points. English Shirley, Ryan. I guess Ashton Winger, Fager, Moyer Jr. But it's not like it was. It's you 28 cars last night. I don't know how many tonight. is. I, it's like, it's kind of like, okay, it's summer nationals when it used to be like, oh, shit, it's the summer nationals. That's kind of my opinion on it.
1: Yeah, the field um, that's actually running the outlaws, he's obviously Devin Moran. He win like the first week and ended up just not finishing it out. <clears throat> Says he ain't ready for it yet. But yeah, the field's definitely weak. Uh, Pierce is probably going to win. Uh, if not, then probably Shirley. I like to see t- a guy like Tana English win. He's been winning good here lately especially over, like, the past couple weeks. But, um, yeah, PS is probably going to win. Just to feel just – it's very weak, in my opinion. Uh, because, last – sorry. Ahead. Oh, the last update of the Firecracker, Overton is starting to close in on Madden. Go uh, There's, like, a minute left. So, yeah, he's probably going to win and win even go. more money.
0: It's, what, 30000 to win that?
1: Yep, something that'd like that.
0: Over, that'd be over 300000 inside of uh, two weeks.
1: Yeah. Lawson's the hottest – Driver, period, but he's the hottest driver in the like world,
0: always without a yeah. doubt. Yeah, and uh, he's, yeah, um, last night atomic speedway in Alma, Ohio had the opener, the Valvoline Ironman Northern Series, the uh, opener for the Atomic 100 opener, four grand to win last night. Good field of cars, I think they had 30 cars, but Josh Rice topped the field, beating Devin Rand by 0.8 seconds. Devin Gilpin came in a respectable third, he's getting better. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Tyler and Carpenter was fourth, Jared Hawkins fifth, um, you know, RJ Conley was there, Freddie Carpenter, Jerry Bowersock, Steve Kaysball, Dwayne Chamberlain. And then they had a bunch of guys tonight show up too, like Turbo showed up. Um, the Lucas Oil races got rained out. So he drove all the way there tonight for the 12,000 to win. I'd like to try to find an update on that. But uh, Josh rice he's uh, over the last couple of years, especially this year, he won the Ralph Latham Memorial. Florence this year. Um, He's got a couple regional wins paying four, five, six, seven thousand dollars. He had with, I mean, the engine problems at Eldora, but he's got to the point now where he shows up. Not only will he make the show, but he can kind of contend now.
1: Yeah. Uh, even the race at the door, like, the first night, uh, he, him and Lawson battled, for like, three, for four laps. They were throwing sliders back and forth until he finally had that engine problem. But, yeah, he's been really good over, like, the past month. I mean, obviously, you mentioned the Ralph Latham Memorial, that he won, ended up beating Hudson, like, the final, like, 10 laps or something like that, whatever it was. Uh, very impressive win for him. Uh, he's definitely starting to run up there and showing that he can not only compete for a win, but he can actually get it done when it matters. So he's definitely done really well over the past month.
0: I've got a brief update on um, the Atomic 100 finale that's tonight. We were just talking about night two of the Valvoline Ironman Northern Series Atomic 100 finale. 12,000 to win. Um, they only had 24 cars tonight, but again, a good field. Um, fast qualifier night was Devin Moran, Top the, top the field at 13 7 3 0. He, uh, The four heat winners were Devin Moran, RJ Conley, Josh Rice, and Turbo. And then the feature lineup tonight, um, I'm assuming they've already been running it now, but feature lineup, Moran and Rice on the front, RJ Conley, Turbo on the second row. You have Jared Hawkins, Dustin Nobby, Tyler Carpenter, Jerry side, Brennan, Hornsby third. Row six is Gilpin and Caseville, a pair of Indiana guys. Row seven, Rod Conley and Hornicle. So a good field of cars, even though there's only 24. Michael Chilton's there starting towards the back. Look like he had made it through a consolation race. So it'd be curious to see if Moran Rice continue to try to battle 1-2, if maybe um, Gilpin can get back up there. So I can't wait to see the results from that later tonight. Oh, yeah, I forgot to
1: mention I didn't know where Gilpin was racing out, but I seen that his sister posted that he started 14th and ended up finishing third, which is very impressive.
0: Yeah, That was um, last night at a time.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't know where he was racing at because I didn't actually go in too deep on where he was racing that, but I seen he started 14th finished third. Last update. I swear, I, I said this last time, but it keeps updating on, on Twitter here. But last update from the race, the firecracker at Uh With 56 laps, 56 laps to go, there's a caution thrown out. Uh, Brandon Overton has took the lead. Um, Chris Madden is second. Dennis Serb Jr. is third. So that's my final
0: update for that. Go figure. Go figure, huh? But nonetheless, there is, and like I said, the Lucas Oil was supposed to be over in Minnesota and I think Iowa this week, and it got rained out both last night and tonight. So, cancellations there on that front. Uh, Sucks for those guys, because I'm sure they'd rather have been canceled earlier in the week. So, a lot of them, like Davenport Owens and all them, could have made it over to the Firecracker. But nonetheless, that is your Dirt Racing Roundup. That is the roundup on sports. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for the pilot episode. Peyton, anything you got to say before we get out of here?
1: Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, like I said earlier on in the intro, um, at the start of the show, that's definitely a weird, it's a different vibe for me because normally I'm co-hosting or hosting. It's very rare that I get asked to come on as a guest. Um, So when you asked me to join, I said hell yeah, I'm down. Uh, I love talking sports. Uh, Obviously, college basketball is the main sport I love talking about, but I love talking about dirt racing, my other passion. Uh, Even soccer, I love talking about it. Um, Even really, I don't really watch NBA too much, but even dabble into like the NBA playoffs is cool to watch or the cool to talk about. So. It's definitely cool to have like another platform to talk about everything else that I love, besides yeah. college basketball.
0: Yeah, and let's be honest. You're the producer, but you're going to be on here hanging out. You might not speak a whole lot in some shows if I have a guest, or if it's just me, you'll probably be on here regularly, so you'll be on here a lot. But real quick, before we get out of here, literally just updated. Uh, finale, the race over at Atomic, the Atomic 100 finale is over Twelve grand. Conley survives Atomic bags $12,000 payday. Advancing from the 13th starting spot in an attrition-filled and caution-plagued 60-lap race, Rod Conley of Willersburg, Ohio, overtook pole sitter and race-long leader Devin Moran of Dresden, Ohio, in the lap 49 of Saturday's Atomic 100 finale at Atomic Speedway and led the remaining distance for a $12,000 victory on the Valvoline Ironman Northern Series. Conley pulled to a lead of 3.438 seconds, but the final nine laps ran caution-free following Moran's flat tire on lap 51. Devin Gilpin and Tyler Irvin finished second, third, respectively. Both drivers recovered from flat tires midway through the race. How about for Gilpin? Third, last night, second tonight in a big race and uh, actually came back from a flat tire to do so. So the final rundown, Josh Rice actually finished the 20th. Looks like he broke part of all that. But Rod Conley, the veteran, gets the $12,000 win. Devin Gilpin second. Tyler Turbo third, Jared Hawkins fourth, Dustin Nobby fifth, Henry Hornsby the third, sixth, RJ Conley seventh, Todd Brennan eighth, Devin ran ninth, and rounding out the top ten was Tyler Carpenter. How about that? Good on Rod Conley and good on Gilpin getting a <clears the> big <throat> top, top, you know, top two podium finish.
1: Yep, most definitely.
0: So with that being said, uh, we appreciate you guys checking tonight's episode out. This is like I said, this is the pilot for sports talk with JB. I don't want to commit to a certain schedule because the way life is right now and everything is, but my goal is to do definitely at least one show per week. I'd like to do two or three, even if they're just quick hitter, or 30-minute episodes because there's a lot going on in ever-changing world of sports. We'd like to be this a platform where just the voices, just let it be heard. Hopefully our fan base grows and you guys can join along. We get some cool guests on here in the sports media and sports world but with that being said i am jb other know was known as josh burton i appreciate you guys joining us tonight and we will catch you down the road for another edition of sports talk with jb we'll see you later